podcast where we discuss the competitive side of the game. I'm Charles, and with me today are Richard, Ian, Alexander, and a special guest, Ronan Satnik. Hello. So Ronan is a fellow Canadian. He is from Ontario, and uh, he's part of the OSBGL group in Ontario. And I think he's also known for his YouTube channel with, with Derek, Era Kuen Kaladrim. Is that how you pronounce it? Very close. And most people don't know how to get it. It's actually uh, translated roughly from a couple elven words. It's pronounced Era Quinn Caladrum. Okay. And what does it mean? Uh, loosely, uh, people of the sacred light or people of the sacred fire. So basically, I don't know, shining our little light into this hobby. Perhaps making content that other people aren't making. Trying to put something unique out there hopefully people will enjoy. And having a little fun, obviously, as we go. Yeah, of course. Uh, so Ronan is joining us today to talk about the Goblin King. And uh, he has prepared two lists to share with Goblin Town. And after that, we'll be going into an open topic of our top monsters of the game. So uh, just a few questions to get to know Ronan. So tell us a little more about the YouTube channel, what kind of content you, you do on there. Okay, Um so we have a couple of playlists, um, which are more popular. Uh, our Monster Mash was our first one, and that was basically an attempt to get away from the traditional battle report style content that everyone seemed to be making, um, where you just have a couple of standard armies which are going at each other in one of our standard missions. It's cool, but there's a lot of people out there that do that, so we wanted to do something different. So we created an elimination style tournament using all of the named monsters in the game, yeah, I did a couple of round robins to figure out the initial matchups and then just put them all in an elimination round and just saw who came out on top. Obviously, kept Smaug out of it, because that's kind of unfair, and kept uh, Sauron out of it, because that's also kind of unfair. The Balrog we did keep in it, because we felt there were a couple of monsters in there that could give him a run for his money, and also point differential. I thought Sauron was in the tournament, because I remember watching the Sauron versus Balrog Yes, we did have a couple of matches after the elimination round, just added into the series, um, just because they were cool. We wanted to see what would happen. So we did do Sauron versus Smaug. We did uh, Smaug versus Smaug. We did the Balrog versus the Three Trolls, I think. A couple of cool matches like that, just for fun. And that was our first really successful playlist. The other ones we do are kind of like... Uh, I don't know, are like monthly check-ins for tournaments and stuff like that. We've done a couple of army reviews, um, armies specifically that other people have not made reviews on, or that we felt hadn't gotten enough attention, like Goblin Town, or like Azog's Hunters. And then we linked in some other videos from people like the DC Hobbit League would make fantastic videos as well. So yeah. also remember um, seeing some nice like hobby tutorials on, on your channel as well. Ah, yes, that would be... Uh, Derek, my father, um, he is definitely the hobbyist out of the two of us. I'm more of the competitive strategist. Um, so he had a couple of really cool conversions that he did, which he just wanted to show people because he got a lot of comments on them. Um, he obviously took pictures as he went. Um, yeah, they were very informative videos. I learned a lot from him. So yeah, just some cool stuff that we thought people might appreciate. Cool. So what kind of scene is the game like over in Ontario in the OSBGL? Okay, I've been part of the OSBGL for about four years now, not counting COVID, obviously, because we haven't done much. I joined, my first tournament was the Grand Final of 2015, and yeah, I've been playing fairly regularly ever since. We have tournaments every month, 
Occasionally, we'll have more than one. Those are few and far between, though. Usually happening in opposite ends of the province to try and get as many players just out playing games, using their models, getting out, seeing other cool nerds. We keep track of uh, event points, and your top four events will make up your score for the year. And at the end of the year, at the grand final, in addition to the prizes for that tournament, we also do end of the year stuff for the league overall, which is really cool. I really like that event. Yeah, I was over uh, in Toronto in 2019 that summer, and I kind of saw how your league worked, and it was it was super like official. You know, you had like admins that you you guys like elect, and then <laughs> you kept track of all your points really like really accurately. <laughs> yeah, that's been oh, that's there's been a lot of change in the past four years. A bunch of really cool guys have been spearheading that. Don, Drew, Ben, Taylor Sinstead, all fantastic guys. My dad as well. He's on the end mid team, so I'm just going to flex that here. <laughs> but yeah, they're all really good guys, and a lot of those changes actually were made just in the past couple of years. Cool. Uh, so how did you get into the hobby and, and this game in particular? Ooh, well, I had a friend um, in grade school, actually. It was my final year, so that would be grade eight in Canada. I don't know what that translates to in other countries. But yeah, grade eight, I had a friend who played the game. I went over to his house, played a couple of matches because we're both big Lord of the Rings nerds. My dad was interested as well. We bought some starter armies um, and then we went to our first tournament. That was, yeah, the end one of 2015. We got smashed, <laughs> but it was it was fun. It was fantastic. And yeah, we definitely started coming out to more events and we were hooked right from the beginning. Cool. So obviously we, we know that you love Goblin Town. Um, yes. What, yeah. And so, what do you like about the army? Oh well, the fun most. story. How I got into that army actually. Um, there was a unique tournament uh, with unique composition rules where you were only allowed to take one named hero, and then the only other heroes you were allowed to take would be generic captains, and a certain percentage of your army had to be your generic infantry from your faction, whatever that was. So I looked at that composition and I thought straight away, goblins. <laughs> so I painted up an entire Goblin Town army, uh, 97 models or something like that for that tournament. Um, and that was the first time I played them. That was in my second year. So that'd be 2017. And yes, immediately fell in love with their playstyle. Uh, I love having two to three times as many models as anyone else. Just the board control is something you can't get with any other army. Other armies can match in terms of might points and mobility and stuff like that, but you just don't get those numbers in any other faction. So I just got to say that I really respect you painting 97 models with no <laughs> contrast paint. That is amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it was a grind and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any other favorite factions you would like to shout out? Ooh, uh, I started with Isengard. Because I was watching a ton of YouTube videos, and everyone seemed to be saying that was the good starter army, just because it's kind of good at everything. I and mean, it's really easy to play, you just kind of push them in there, and they kill stuff, or you can sit back with crossbows and kill stuff. So yeah, I've been teaching, bring a couple of my friends into the game. I started off a couple of them with Isengard, because it's fantastic. I also love Elite Gondor, just like Fountain Court Guard. They look super cool, and they're fantastic in the game. And then one I've started getting into more recently in the past year is Azog's Hunters. Very niche play style, but very fun. Very fun. They have a lot of hitting power. Yeah. 
Okay, well, let's jump into the Goblin King. So, just quickly uh, go through his profile. Who would be so bold as to come armed into my kingdom? So the Goblin King is found in the Goblin Town Army list. He's 130 points. Uh, he has the Goblin, Monster, Infantry, and Hero keywords. He's a Hero Legend. Move 6, Fight 6 with a 5-up Shoot. Strength 5, Defense 5, 3 Attacks, 3 Wounds, Courage 3, 3 Might, 2 Will, 1 Fate. He has a 2-handed pick. And he has 3 special Heroic Actions, Heroic Strike, Heroic Strength, and Heroic Challenge. And... He has seven special rules. So the first four are Burly, Cave Dweller, Resistance to Magic, and Terror. Then he has Relentless Advance, which allows him to move through Goblin models when he charges. And each Goblin he moves through suffers a Strength 3 hit, and any Goblin that he ends his move on is automatically slain. A model with a special rule can't be compelled or commanded over friendly models. The next one is Blubbery Mass. So every time a Goblin King is wounded... On a 3+, the wound is ignored, and magical powers and elven-made weapons ignore this ability. And the last special rule is the Goblin Projectile. In the shoot phase, if there's a Goblin in base-to-base -base contact with the Goblin King, and neither are engaged in combat, the Goblin King may throw him with a range of 12. This counts as a throwing weapon, and you remove the Goblin after, and is resolved at a strength 8, and is not prone it's um, weird that it says it's a throwing weapon, but you can only use it in the shoot phase. Exactly. But that means you can move your full six inches and then still fire. Yeah. On a six. Interesting. It's Interesting. a gimmick. It's a four-point yeah. goblin. Yeah. But that, that means that it hits on a six, right? That is correct. Yeah. It's rarely used, like, ever. I've used the Goblin King in tons of tournaments, and, yeah, you don't often end up using it. Often you're in combat turn one or turn two. But in the off chance you do get to use it, I have knocked down a couple of eagles. I've knocked down Treebeard. And it's so cheeky, but it's so satisfying every time when they have their big expensive character and you're just like, yes, I just knocked you down with a four-point goblin. <laughs> well, it makes I, no sense at all. <laughs> I, yeah, I remember hearing about this as like anti-Felby's tactics for this list. Mm -hmm. just throw I was just going to say, yeah. That is ridiculously good for what you can actually <laughs> do with it, considering you read the rest of the rule and you're like, okay, so it's a it's a good throwing weapon, it's strength eight, which is fantastic, but like you're obviously not gonna use it a ton just because you have to be unengaged to do it. I mean, yeah, knocking down a fell beast or like an eagle with a four point goblin, it's a four point throwing spear that does incredible amounts of damage. I'm just a little upset that you can't grab a goblin on your way into combat and throw it like a throwing weapon. That would be funny. I think that'd be too much. <laughs> that would be kind of broken, yeah. But just even thinking about the logistics of this physically, you throw this tiny little goblin at Treebeard, for example, its bones would shatter on his face. It wouldn't knock him down. <laughs> well, maybe that's why he gets knocked down. He's just so startled by all this gore in his face. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> I think it should have a strength restriction on what it knocks down, though. So, like, models up to strength 5 or maybe strength 6, but 
it shouldn't knock over a Balrog <laughs> or a Sauron <laughs> or anything like that. So the Goblin King is sort of like the centerpiece of a Goblin Town army, right? He has just a list of various special rules. So Ronan, when you play Goblin Town, is the Goblin King usually like what you rely on to win the game? Or do you use him more like an assassin or a tank or um, what kind of role? Kind of all of the above, but no, you don't rely on him to win the game. He's just one tool in your toolkit. In fact, there are actually situations where you don't want to take the Goblin King in your army. Um, it's only for low point match games, but if you're playing like 400 points or below, I would never take the Goblin King. He's roughly a warband and a half. You want those models instead if you're playing at a low point value. Now, when you do take him, you can use him to stall big heroes that are like twice his point cost. It works very well. Or if you use him in combination with Golem, then yeah, you can assassinate key targets. And his Relentless Advance rule is actually really good for that. Most players don't see it coming. You can just have the Goblin King stand in your back ranks. This is actually what I do whenever I go to tournaments. I keep the Goblin King behind my battle line, charge Golem into a big hero, and then I have the Goblin King trample the ranks and then get in there with Golem and kill something. <laughs> That's really interesting to hear. So, I mean, like, I think everyone has kind of heard this over and over, but my nightmares of losing at the Nova top table against Goblin Town, you know, this guy was one of the big reasons. And I guess Jake, who played this list, he did something a little bit differently. So he relied on the blubbery mass instead of the relentless advance. So even though I had uh, Halls of Thranduil army, so I had elf bows as well. He just put his Goblin King front and center, and he was like, I dare you to shoot at it because I'm going to three up this. And then... It was kind of like, you know, whether I should go at him or I should start picking off the defense three goblins. So it was kind of mm. like a dilemma I had to go through. But yeah, like his defense five, it doesn't matter when he has the three up save. Yeah, I have had some crazy encounters um, when I'm using the Goblin King. My record for saves with Blubber is 55 wounds in three consecutive turns. I lost three fights in a row, trapped against a King's Champion, and survived 55 wounds. That is disgusting. What are the I odds on that? I understand how you could get that many dice. To... <laughs> Did you have to mite any of them? Nope. Wow. So he's, he's like, really, he can take a lot of damage, and he can dish out a lot of damage, right? Strength 5, barely, and he can Piercing Strike as well to Strength 6. Mm -hmm. And he has the Brutal Power Attacks, he's a monster. So I guess his only weakness that I can see is his courage, right? His courage is only three, and he's not even that bad against magic because he has uh, resistance to magic. Oh, um, you can't might the blubbery mass. I just reread it. It's not a fate roll. It, it looks like it's just like a random D6. Oh. Um, they might have updated that in the new edition. I haven't looked at it recently. It looks like it just says roll a three plus. It's been way too long since I've played a game. <laughs> Ah, most of the time you don't need to anyway. Yeah, it looks like you can't might it. It's kind of like Thoror's save as well, right? Yeah, but Thoror, it's it actually says it's a fate uh, save, right? No, no, it says you you can use a might. I think explicitly in. Oh Thoror's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like save, Sauron, so. it says you can too. Yeah, so I would assume going by that logic, this one you might not be able to. So I was just looking through the FAQ quickly, and I, I didn't see anything about blubbery mass in there. So, because it's not like a fate, then it's not on, like, definition of things you can might in the main rulebook, I guess. Under the rules for might, it says, for special rules, typically it's only if it says that you can use a might. Yeah. So I think we're leaning towards no. Mm -hmm. 
Anyway, it seems like you have to be a lot more careful with them against elves, though, because the elven-made weapons ignore the blubber. Yeah, that's the only time you'll see an exception to my general strategy. He doesn't touch infantry, really, at that point. You're a lot more careful. You're always making sure he has more dice, unless he's with Golem. You just gotta play on your toes. It sucks. Don't fight elves. <laughs> Which, yeah, Richard, that's why I always insist on taking Orcrus, because I know it was last edition, but it wasn't all elven-made weapons. It was just, like, Orcrus and Glamdring and Sting, and he was so hard to kill. It was, like, impossible. You're living in the past, Ian. Yeah, but imagine how good Orcrus is against him <laughs> now, too. It's still great. It's still great. Uh, you see, Legolas, you're on the other direction. <laughs> see, Richard? See? <laughs> on Legolas. <laughs> Are you saying I lost that because I didn't have Orcrist on Legolas? <laughs> uh, okay, so Ronan brought up a good point with the Gollum um, pairing. I think his fight six works really well with that because that's like the perfect amount where no hero that can basically outstrike that with the fight six. And then, you know, even if you go up to fight 10, brings it back down to five and you're golden, right? So, yeah, that's an incredible combo that I definitely experienced firsthand. Yeah, that's like identical to, I mean, if you've played against Moria enough, and specifically Richard's Moria, where your opponent brings like one or even two bat swarms, fighting your opponent's either big heroes or monsters becomes incredibly difficult because you have to neutralize those one or two other models before you can really do anything, or you have to continually insulate the back end of your big hero from those other models and it becomes so much more difficult Gollum, obviously he can't fly thankfully he can't but putting that with like richard said a fight sexes there's just no getting away from that i have one more question for ronin i can move on to um ratings so i noticed that he has hero challenge and i know that you know, people don't really use that one. But seeing that he has blubbery mass, like, have you ever thought about taking advantage of that and just um, call it your challenge to uh, try to get Mike back? Or is it no? <laughs> I have entertained the thought very briefly. But what you're seeing a lot in uh, the current meta, you're seeing a lot of big heroes, or at least this is what I was seeing before COVID. And a lot of those big heroes have Elven Blades. So more often than not, you're actually wanting to avoid getting in one-on-one -on -one engagements. And most of the heroes that you are hunting or that the Goblin King could take on his own, it's not worth spending a mite on a challenge because they'll just refuse and run away. That's my personal opinion anyway. <laughs> yeah, I personally, I think challenge just needs to be reworked so that it's not so easy to um, turn down. But yeah, I, that was just a thought I had. So, so yeah, to me, it's an incredible profile, I think. In Goblin Town, uh, I'm actually surprised Ronan uh, said that in smaller points you might not take him. I, I just, to me, it's just like it's an auto take in Goblin Town. Uh, I mean, if you were to ally him into other factions, he might be a little bit lower. I mean, he's still an incredible profile that would be a decent ally to any list. But I guess just what the Goblin Town list brings, like the other stuff in the list, it might not complement other evil armies all the time, other than maybe, maybe giving them like a boost in numbers. But yeah, like I don't really see much fault with this profile. It's uh, it's probably a 9 out of 10 for me. Yeah, I am very much on the same page as you, Charles. Solid 9, even 9.5. The king is just a beast. There isn't much he can't fight. And when he's with Golem, there literally isn't anything he can't fight. The only issue is when you run into terror-causing models. Because, yeah, Courage 3 really hurts. And it really sucks when you have to spend his will points to get that charge. 
which I do end up doing from time to time just because you don't want to let their big nasty thing run amok and Golem can't take it on his own. Yeah, he's, you know, I think on the surface, you look at him, you look at the rules, and at first, I think my instinct is, well, you know, you look at it, it's a three-up. There's a 33% chance that he's going to fail it a good handful of them, or at least you'd think he would. But then I look at the results of what I've seen happen with the Goblin King and how long it takes to bring him down, especially when you have Gollum in there somewhere. And like I said, just adding in that extra model that you have to neutralize while you're trying to fight something like the Goblin King, very difficult. So I'm probably going to have to give it a, a solid nine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys brought up a lot of good points already. I think he's pretty much just an auto take in Goblin Town. I think uh, I can't give him a perfect 10 just because you don't see him like one dropped in like you know, certain heroes we're going to see later today, <laughs> like the Spider Queen or like, you know, Gwai here or Boromir Gondor, of course. So I, I think ultimately I would say he's a 9.5 for me. I think I'm going to be a little bit meaner than everybody else. Probably go for like an 8, 8.5, we'll say. Just because like that, the Courage 3 is tricky. Because I don't think it's going to come into games a lot because of breaking. Because I know this army doesn't break a lot. There's just too many models. But there's a lot of stuff, like a lot of terror stuff prominent in the meta right now. And I think he could really struggle against that. Especially if there's a negative one bubble around, like Army of the Dead. Anything with Kyrdan or like Angmar. But other than that, it's a crazy solid profile. And eight. Man, that's that's brutal. That's maybe, like when you gave yeah, Gothlog or something. Maybe I'll go like 8.5. Well, he doesn't really buff the troops, too, right? So for me, like, if somebody needs to be like 9, 10 territory, it has to buff the troops as well around him, right? Yeah, okay. On that note, actually, um, in terms of just what he adds to the Goblin Town faction, the Hero of Legend thing is actually huge because it's essentially a stall once your army does break, if it ever does break. It's a free turn where you don't have to worry about those courage tests. You do have for your heroes, obviously. But for your infantry, you don't have to worry about them suddenly vanishing on you and you're just losing because half your models just died. See, but that's the other thing, though, is he doesn't. it's not like he has a bigger courage bubble or like something that makes heroes pass. It's still just his little 16-inch one, even though everybody think everything will pass in that. Yeah, I'm sticking with 8.5. <laughs> So, I just have a quick question. How does Grinna's Swap With Me special rule interact with the Relentless Advance special rule? Like, can you swap places with them, but then if, like, the Goblin King's base is overlapping the goblins, does he just, like, kill that goblin anyway? Ah, uh, sorry, you're talking about Grinna switching places with the Goblin King. Yeah, so if, if Grinna does that, but, like, all the infantry bases that where Grinna is are, like, tightly locked together... So then when he swaps, the Goblin King goes there, but then his base is overlapping a whole bunch of goblins. Do they just die? I was under yeah. the impression that he was not able to switch. With also, the Goblin King can only trample when he's charging. And uh, when you swap, that's not a charge, I guess. Yeah, if you just read the entire paragraph, it does say, oh. if there is no yep. room to be swapped, you must choose another. Last sentence, my bad. <laughs> Who would have thought, reading the rules, <laughs> Why would you read the last sentence when you could just read the first sentence, right? Exactly. (laughs) 
All the important information is at the top. Please read the entire question before answering. <laughs> oh, God, no. I mean, yeah. I guess that's how we all got through university. Just read I've had sentences. enough of that. I've had enough of that. We don't need anymore. <laughs> okay, let's move on to our two army lists today that Ronan has ready for us. So the first one is going to be a 600-point Pure Goblin Town list. Uh, Ronan, please just run through your list and let us know your general strategy. All right. This list I've actually used quite a bit. Like some tiny little things change, like in terms of like warband setup or whatever. But generally speaking, this is a layout that I use all the time. 600 points of pure goblin town. Uh, First warband is the Goblin King, leading 17 goblins and golem. Because golem is an independent hero, you can just slot him in there. Uh, Second warband is Grinna, leading 12 goblins and one goblin with two-handed weapon. Third warband is the Goblin Scribe, leading his 12 goblins. And then the last two warbands are identical. Goblin Captains, leading 12 goblin warriors and one with a two-handed weapon. Gives you a total of 74 models. You get a plethora of might, you're sitting at 11. And then your breakpoint is 37. So... This list seems pretty straightforward. 74 models at 600 points is kind of crazy. The 500-point version of this list is almost just as big. Both are just nuts. You will be doubling or tripling in numbers most of your opponents. In terms of might, you're going to be outmighting them most of the time as well. 600 points, generally people are only going to get two heroes, three if they're going all low levels, so like fortitudes or whatever. Um, So you will control the field of play. You will fill the field of play because you have so many models and you have enough hitting power between the Goblin King, Golem, and Grinna. A lot of people don't like to throw Grinna and Golem together, but just Grinna having the ability to heroic strike actually makes him a valid partner for Golem as well. Because often if you can get the trap even with your standard Goblins and you throw Grinna Golem in there, you can take out a tier one hero pretty easily. And then just the versatility of the Scribes and auto-take and your strategy is basically the same in every mission you play. Swarm your opponent, don't let them move around an awful lot, take whatever objectives you have to, and just grind away. I really like this list. I think all I'm really going to say about this is normally, we've talked about in previous episodes, 1,000 point lists, where you say, well, at 1,000 points, of course, it looks phenomenal because you have the space to add in everything you would want for that list. The fact that you're able to do it at 600 points for Goblin Town is really scary. You have two heroes that can heroic strike. Uh, One of them, of course, is the Goblin King, who is pretty petrifying, especially since he uses his own troops as a doorway, or rather just a stepping stone to his opponent, and then just the numbers. I thought, even if I play Mordor and really focus on Orc Warriors, I'm probably half that size at 600 points. So no shooting attacks in there, short of the Goblin King being able to throw something, which is petrifying as we've seen by itself. But aside from that, mobility is your issue. Magic, aside from that, really, at that points level, you have the board control, you have the numbers, and you have a massive hero, and one other striking hero, and Golem. I think you've got more than enough tools, really, to uh, make up for it. I'll give it a Hero of Legend. Yeah, I'm... I have one question for you, Ronan. Why not the mercenary captains? Because I love that, uh, and it's done so much, and I don't know, I think it's just one of the best units you can take. So, I mean, scary as this list is, like, I'm kind of like, why not, like, a small warband? Honestly, I kind of have the opposite opinion of the mercenaries that you do. I 
I see their appeal, but in Goblin Town, they don't really add anything you don't already have. They do have that element of showing up wherever, but between your insane amount of numbers, just covering the field and the scribe bringing guys on wherever you need them, it's honestly unnecessary from my personal experience, and the mercenaries are just more expensive. If you're bringing Goblin Town mercenaries, to actually be able to use their mercenary bonus, you need to bring a mercenary captain. And between the warband, you're losing about six goblins, six to seven goblins, which is just kind of crazy. I would rather have the extra models in my Goblin Town list, especially when the things that the mercenaries would be able to accomplish, I can just accomplish with the rest of the army in a roundabout way. Mm, fair enough, fair enough. I, I guess I've seen it played kind of both ways. What I would say the mercenary captain does bring slightly is for the scribe, I mean, I get you can place goblins anywhere, and but they slowly come on. So it's more for objective reasons. So if you're thinking more of a tactical, like, airdrop attack, you know, um, that's where I'm thinking, like, the mercenary captain could, you know, surprise a small contingent of archers, or you can flank an enemy. Yeah, that's how I've kind of seen it done. But I kind of get your point. Like, uh, this way you're getting a huge amount of numbers. And I I mean, I got to respect the 74 models at 600 points. That is crazy. The first thing I think of is, this might be showing my age a little bit, but when I was a teenager, there was a hypothetical question my friends would ask. And like, we would say, how many five-year-olds could you take at once? And <laughs> Not as many end- as you think. <laughs> Well, the answer is, if they have picks, then you can't take more than three at once. You'll be, and, and that's pretty much what you get in this list. <laughs> that is actually one of the best ways I've ever heard someone describe Goblin Town ever. <laughs> now, whenever I see a five-year-old, I'm just going to think of the Goblin Town models. I, I mean, I'm not... thankful they don't have picks. Yeah. I'm not pushing child soldiers by any case, but I'm just saying that's that's what I think. <laughs> My question following Richards is, if your reasoning is for not taking mercenaries is to have maximum numbers, then why not increase your numbers even more? Because it looks like your warbands are not maxed. You could take one less captain and fill out the rest of your warbands. Did you really need the 11 might? From my experience, I would actually rather have that much more might. The way that you play Goblin Town, board control is huge. Your numbers are great at bogging them down, but you really want your heroes to be able to get where you want them to be, specifically the King, Golem, and Grinna. Having that extra might lets you heroic move, and that's often what the captains end up doing. The other thing you can use that might force heroic marches, which are really big in missions like uh, heirlooms, reconnoiter, things like that, where your five-inch move just won't cut it. And in missions like Reconnoiter specifically, that's where the mercenaries would actually be useful in my mind. But it's 1 out of 12, so I just don't see a need for it. The Goblin Scribe plays a defensive role in that mission, bringing guys on from your board edge just to block things off, whereas everyone else is just booking it to the other side. I think it's more than just one. I don't know what Richard was thinking, but maybe, like, I don't know, destroy the supplies, um, maybe even seize the prize, domination... We saw a lot of uh, mercenaries at Nova. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I I still really like the mercenaries. Um, I, I just like that um, extra, basically, utility, like something that it brings that 
not many models in the game can bring like the only other one is like maybe the watcher in the water and he's 200 points but i will say that i like your reasoning and i think you've convinced me of this kind of alternative way and seeing that you do have two captains you have four points in heroic marches so i think you will be able to close ground so at 600 points i don't see that really being a negative factor so i'll give this a legend yeah, I was just thinking if you were to drop one captain, your numbers might go up to like 80, but then you can only march twice. And your march would only be like around one captain, which is a really small bubble. So I, I, I understand your reasons for uh, wanting two captains. I still think it probably would have been better if one of the captains was a mercenary. Oh, but then but then your your like main army would only get one captain to march. So yeah, I'll go with Richard on this one. Hero of Legend. I, I can't see very many armies being able to deal with seventy four models. So interestingly enough, Gollum also has heroic march and one point of might in this list. I don't know if you'd want to use it for that, but you definitely could. He is just like there's another source. Uh I often save his might usually just straight up to modify a die roll, or in the off chance I have to use it for Heroic Strike, that is a thing as well. I didn't actually know that he had March. Thank you for pointing that out to me. (laughs) (laughs) This shows how long it's been since I've had to consider that. McCollum doesn't have Heroic Strike. He just has Heroic March. Ah, F in the chat. So so you might as well march with (laughs) him. Facts. (laughs) Or to pass a terror test, or to pass a terror test. Um, I've had to do that before mm, as well. That's a good shout. Wow, is is Gollum the bravest person in this army? He is. Surge 4, he yeah, is. I think so. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. And he's an independent hero, so he doesn't have a stand fast. <laughs> that's unfortunate. That's why he's so brave. He's too busy cheering on himself. Uh, um, so I... I yeah I think I'll probably end up just just going for the legend for this list yeah at at, at the at 600 it's it's just a lot of models I don't know if you if you tried like have you gone up against like a Rangers of Athelion at, at 600 with this and and is that I have gone up against a whole bunch of different kinds of armies and honestly archer armies if that's kind of the route that you're taking thinking that they'd be a good counter for this I would actually strongly disagree I have fought all kinds of armies Rivendell Knights. Markwood Rangers, uh, Athelion as well. And the critical mistake that people playing Archer Armies usually make is they like to hang back in a corner. And while that works out initially, you get a couple extra rounds of shooting, which does a lot of damage. Those armies generally tend to have low defense. And the fact that you've put yourself in a corner makes it twice as easy to trap you. And then you literally have nowhere to go. And also playing the shooting game means you often have to give up objectives if there are any, which really doesn't help. So generally speaking, I don't think massive shooting armies even are a problem for this list. You yeah. hear that, Ian? You're oh. going to get backed into the corner and trapped. So don't well, do it. That is an interesting thing that I've never considered, though, is that just because of the sheer weight of models you have, they just there isn't going to be a place where they could break out. Like they just No matter what, if they try to go around a terrain piece, there's probably just going to be goblins on the other side blocking it. That's okay. I, I think if you do want to counter Goblin Town, you need like a semi horde army as well. And I mean, I think shooting helps a little bit. So the first thing I think of is like a Harad or like a Corsairs. An Aura of Dismay, maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Depending on what army brings it, but yeah. Yeah, because my first thought was some kind of like mostly foot Rivendell with Kirdan. 
That was the, just the first thing that came to my mind because he's got that aura of dismay. And I think that's probably the most understated weakness of not just obviously of goblins, but the Goblin King being able to neutralize the Goblin King with needing to take courage tests or Golem because you can neutralize Golem. I mean, he is only courage for pretty decent courage, but at the same time, not infallible. Yeah, um, the two armies, which I would say were actually the most effective counters from my experience for this kind of list are either uh, on paper, they are either Rivendell or Angmar because they have access to a lot of area of effect bonuses, including mass terror and negatives and things like that. And while you might look at those and say that is really good against these guys like terror, they have terrible courage. They're not going to be able to charge you. Yeah, most of them won't be able to. There's 74 of them. Some of them are going to get in. And the fact that you're paying for characters that are expensive and that are going to be sitting in your back ranks and can't fight, that's taking away from your battle line, which means it's going to be that much easier to trap to surround you. At this point value, even those kinds of armies, Rivendell, Angmar, with all those debuffs and everything like that, can't fight this because you're going to have them trapped from turn three. And at that point, it's just crunch. Okay, so I do have one question. I think I already know the answer. I think the answer is going to be there's 74 of them. But my my top question, seeing how failed courage checks usually affect my charging with like a mortar army, even with 74 of them, if you fail enough around the front of your army, how do you mitigate that with the rest of your army? Because normally when I have the issue where some in the front fail their tests and stand still, they start blocking everything behind it because of bottleneck they can't get through. How do you manage that with Goblin Town then? Is it any different? Yeah, that is a problem people run into a lot. And this is where it actually gets the most complicated. Often I will send guys running around the flanks or whatever without actually charging. So I'll just use the monster analogy because monsters are really easy for this. You have this nice big base, and you cause terror, and you have a control zone. Sure, I could just try to charge you, but again, you'll get the bottleneck effect. I'll have a couple guys in the front, and then my dudes will have to run around, and then I won't be able to trap you. If I have a couple of guys run around your control zone to the back to prevent you from backing away, I have you trapped even before I charge you. And then at that point, I'm free to take however many terror tests I want, even if I only get like one or two guys in. I can throw spear supports behind them, and that's still four dice to win the fight, and then eight dice because you're trapped. That's actually kind of amazing. I'm sorry, I had to cut you off there for a second because I'm just kind of, I'm a little in awe by that. I haven't really thought of that strategy. I'm going to have to try that sometime. Yeah, it's really easy to do against big monsters. Less easy when it's a whole army that causes terror, so like Army of the Dead. But again, it's the same idea maximize the number of courage tests you're going to be able to take before committing. So just move guys out of the way if you have to. Run them around the side. It's helpful if you get behind them anyway, so you're not losing anything, and you have enough guys, you're going to be backed a few ranks deep. Just take a couple guys running around the side, and then you have that much more options, that many more chances to get the charge. Very interesting. So there's a second list that you brought to share with us today, and it's... um. Goblin Town Alliance list at 800 points. 800 points, yeah. Uh, why don't you go over that one? So this is my uh, Goblin Town with Friends army, or the army that I affectionately refer to as the King and the Queen. So army leader is the Goblin King. He is again leading his 17 goblins with Golem. We have Grinna again, leading 11 goblins this time, and then one goblin with two-handed weapon. We have the Scribe leading six goblins, because he's a minor hero. 
silent tear. <laughs> then we have three goblin captains. Two of them are leading ten goblins and then one with two-handed weapon. And then the last one is leading a full twelve, three of which have a two-handed weapon. And then allied in dark denizens, we have the spider queen, and she is leading two giant spiders. Uh, that gives you a model count of 79, break point of 39 and a half, yay, and 16 might points. At 800 points, this list has a similar model count to the one at 600 points, which is something that I would like to point out and draw to people's attention. Often what happens between 600 points and 800 points, and this isn't just the case for Goblin Town, this is like a case in general, often army size doesn't actually increase that much, it's heroes that escalate. So heroes will go from Fortitude to Valor, or from Valor to Legend. You'll just see a lot more big characters, and people's model counts won't actually go up. So this list is kind of geared to counter that, in the sense that now we have two big hero killers. We have the Goblin King, and we have the Spider Queen, and then we also still have Golem and Grinna running around. Between those four, that's a lot of hero countering. And then we still have the mass amount of models for scenario play. Giant spiders are in there running around. They really help out in heirlooms particularly or seize the prize or anything where you don't particularly have control over where people come on. Again, you still have the goblin scribe for that as well. So just a lot of threats, a lot of might points, a lot of models. Same strategy as the 600 point list just blown up. And yeah, there isn't really a scenario that it's bad at. And you've taken this to a tournament before? 800 points, no. Um, I have played it a bunch against uh, players in my local area. And yeah, we tried it in all kinds of missions against all kinds of armies, because I don't know, we had time back in the day when we were able to see people. We don't actually have that many tournaments in Ontario that go above 700 points, which is kind of unfortunate. But yeah, just as a little thing, I'm just going to sneak in here. I actually think that 500 to 600 is the golden area for Goblin Town, and going above that, really, there are other armies that can do that better or are more interesting at Goblin Town. Once you get to higher point values, do you really bring in allies to make it more interesting, or you just get so many models that play gets kind of monotonous, and you start taking up so much time in your movement phase that it's honestly not fair to your opponent, unless you can move really fast, because <laughs> you should only be taking about half the time in the game, right? So that's just my thoughts, anyway. You've said a few things I think we've talked about before. The idea that really from 600 to 800, really the it's more the hero quality goes up rather than the numbers. I mean, it's still a petrifying list. You know, when when you say well the numbers don't really go up, well the numbers the numbers high. The number is higher than your average evil army would be. So it's it's pretty scary. I'm also, I can't say I'm unbiased when I say it's scary because the Spider Queen's in there, and I am particularly afraid of the Spider Queen when used well. She is a little bit low on the defense, but the striking ability and the ability to use the Spider Broodlings, I think that is one thing that definitely has contributed that this army normally would lack the mobility, having a 10-inch move and having Broodlings with a 10-inch move. As odd as it would sound that the broodlings are important with their movement, they're uh, great for objectives. I'm still along the same lines with this army. I, I still see it as very much a favorite at tournaments, just because while you'll see bigger heroes, you also now have two big heroes to match that. One of them is still equally difficult to kill, 
that doesn't change. And the Spider Queen can take down, I'd say, you know, if you're really lucky, more than one big hero in a single turn. So, yeah, it's it, it's just another hero legend for me. I would see this probably winning tournaments. If we give Richard this army at a tournament, it, it's gonna it's gonna win. So, I think I'm sitting at like a high valor for this one because of the numbers, which I know is a weird thing to say when you have like almost 80 models at 800 points. But crunching through around 40 defense three guys at 800 points sounds a lot easier to me than crunching through that same number at 600 points. And that's what I'm kind of stuck at. I really do like the addition of the Spider Queen and the the Spiders, because then you get a lot more mobility that's, like, fast, not restricted to March, and another hitting thing. And the cheekiness with the Broodling. So there's a lot of good things with that. But, yeah, just the pure numbers are a little concerning to me. And then if you do break, you're in a lot of trouble, right? You're still going to have a lot of things running away, despite the Goblin's King's Hero of Legend. So... Yeah, I think I'm going to keep it out of Valor for this one. The only thing I would counter that with, Ian, yeah, the numbers obviously are going to kind of um, shrink the difference. While you are crunching through 40 goblins and it's a lot more doable at 800 points, Ronan in this case has the Goblin King, who if he wants it to be offensive, can be really offensive, and the Spider Queen. And I would argue that they combined have to crush maybe... 20 to 25 and you mix in the goblins as well i i'd say that's still probably more doable i mean yeah like in in this case it's going to be your troops against the goblins that's going to do most of the killing not your heroes right your heroes are just going to be unfortunately trying to deal with the things that are specifically there trying to kill them but that's what they're going to have to do because if yeah if the goblin king and the spider queen just get into your opponent's troops and can run amok for a while then they're going to be in trouble I got a question for you. As a Goblin Town player, how often do you whirl? How often do I whirl? <laughs> well, I have uh, a general bias towards the goblins that are holding axes. So whenever I wonder why. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> so whenever I'm playing, whenever I'm building a Goblin Town list, and I'm going through my goblin models, which I have just a few of on the side of the table, the ones that I pull off the tray first are the ones with axes. Uh, and then second are the ones with swords, and then usually last are the ones with the flails. Um, uh. Yeah, it's, it's kind of tragic. But more often than not, I'm never in a situation where I'm actually able to whirl, because I'm the one that's outnumbering my opponent rather than the one being outnumbered. The only situation where I have used it is when I honestly am sacrificing to like hold up a lion or whatever, and I throw one goblin against multiple guys just to tie them up or to prevent them from moving if I'm relocating my army or something like that. In which case, why not whirl? Because I'm lower fight value anyway. Yeah, it's not something I use, like, at all. (laughs) Axes are way better, as you said in your last video. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I just looked at their uh, profile. They have maces, too, but I don't remember any of the models having maces. But having bash is pretty good. That is something... Yeah, I honestly have not thought about that. But yes, if they have it as an option, I need to convert some goblins with hammers. Just so that I can go after those pesky dwarves, dwarven <laughs> heroes that are like defense nine and knock them over on their butts. Yes, I like this idea. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. So Charles, I, no, this just got even better. <laughs> yeah. I like the look of this, this list, but I think I know why I don't like it as much as your 600-point list. Um, the addition of the Spider Queen is, is nice for all the reasons you said, but to me, it's like, you're adding more hitting power 
more offensive ability and ability to kill rather than trying to mitigate one of Goblin Town's weaknesses. I, I don't know if that's necessarily like the best use of the additional 200 points. I don't know if you've ever considered allying like a Hunter Orc with a Warhorn or maybe some magic, but yeah, it's all speculation. I, I just think that it might be able to put less of the of the weight on the Goblin King. So I think I'm going to go with the Hero of Valor. Ian brought up a good point that, you know, killing 40 models at defense three doesn't seem as hard at 800 points. I can still see this list doing well against a lot of armies. Just it doesn't feel as like overwhelming. Yeah, that is the issue that Goblin Town runs any time that they choose to add allies. And this is why I would actually caution any Goblin Town player. I use this as an illustration because it's one of the only allies I could actually see justifying. But let's just take the stock right here. Spider Queen and two giant spiders. That is two full warbands of goblins with captains plus some extras. That would jack this model count over 100. And that's playing to Goblin Town's strengths, which, again, just don't break. Uh, swarm the table, trap them, outmight them. All the reasons Spider Queen is in there, mobility, increased killing power, specifically, the argument that I really like in favor of the Spider Queen is to mitigate the weakness in scenarios like Lords of Battle, specifically Lords of Battle, which is like an automatic lose for Goblin Town most of the time, unless you can somehow table wipe your opponent and you're utterly ruthless. Having that extra tier one combat hero is really nice. But yeah, anytime you want to pull in some allies with Goblin Town, you're going to be losing tons of numbers, as you said. Yeah, I, I mean, I, th I think I just agree with Ian and Charles a lot here on this one. I think compared to you guys, 800 is kind of our golden number that we play in BC. Just something like this does look very strong, but also very breakable, because killing 30-something-odd goblins at defense 3 is not too intimidating of a task. So I guess one small adjustment I would consider, I don't know if this will be the right call, but having the giant spiders switch into the Merkwood spiders for some extra utility, because right now I think the guys were saying that you only have the two obvious threats in the Goblin King and the Spider Queen, but then with the Merkwood spiders, you could threaten more of the big heroes to try to paralyze them, you know, and you're, plus you're just shooting into combat and who cares if you paralyze one of your mini goblins anyway. So give this a valor as well. All right. Thanks for sharing those two lists. Let's move on to our open topic, our top monsters in the game. So our open topic for today is our top monsters of Middle-earth. So I think we can all agree that monsters play a pretty unique role in this game. They're typically dropped into a list as an individual threat, and usually they'll have access to brutal power attacks, usually they'll be pretty good in combat and have terror. Monsters in this game have a big variety of abilities, so I'm really looking forward to see what everyone has picked as their favorites. Uh, without further ado, let's get started. So each of us have selected three monsters, as well as a runner-up, of who we think are the top monster profiles. And we'll just take turns going through them and then uh, give our thoughts. 
So first up, Alexander, what are your top monsters of the game? So a few months ago, I think my answer most definitely would have been different. But my top three are the Watcher in the Water, Cave Troll, and Guahir. My runner-up is just a generic Great Eagle. The Watcher in the Water is really a, a devastating character. The ability to just pop up anywhere on the board is tactically important. The ability to essentially reach over top of troops in order to grab a character and drag them into base contact, essentially removing them from their supports, is quite lethal. Getting to use those tentacles as a shooting attacks can be pretty nasty too, and it essentially creates a bubble that your opponent is constantly trying to avoid all game long. A cave troll, I just like it for the cost efficiency. Just looking at the ability that the troll has, fight six, the hammer with the burly special rule, point for point compared to the other trolls or generic trolls in the game, I think is far and away the best choice. They've got the smaller base, so they can fit into more spaces and they don't get surrounded quite as overwhelmingly. Gua here, because can you really say no to a 12-inch movement flying model with high fight value, heroic strike, monstrous charge, solid number of attacks? It's just this single drop character that you can just throw in anywhere. They've got a decent alliance matrix. That alone can be an offensive game breaker. Or taking a faraway objective late game when you think there's no way your opponent can do this, and then Guahir comes out of nowhere, flies the objective, and just ruins uh, what you've got standing there. And then my runner-up is a great eagle. Because for the cost, again, very much what Guahir brings. Just cheaper. Obviously doesn't get the might points for the heroic strike, but you get this little package that brings so many different possibilities to the table it's not bringing one thing it's bringing you know three or four different things all at once so alex can i just ask if it's coincidence that every monster on this list is something that i've played against you in the last year (laughs) it's it's purely coincidental it has nothing has nothing to do with the fact that like you know yeah um the only reason the Spider Queen isn't on there is because I honestly forgot about the Spider Queen for five minutes, <laughs> which is like the longest I've not thought about the Spider Queen in probably the last year. I mean, actually, the Watch on the Water goes back to our episode on the Watch on the Water, which was really, I think, where that whole thing started for us. We hadn't really thought about it too much until that episode, and then it kind of like took over in our minds. I'm just a little surprised in the Great Eagle pick as a runner-up. I, I would have thought something else would have slotted in there. But I mean, like, I guess it makes sense for what you said. But I'm just curious, Alexander. Do you have anything like anything more to elaborate on that, or just just flying toys? Essentially, was kind of where I went with that. I mean, there are a lot of places I could have gone with any of those picks. That's the thing. There's ways to justify tons of different monsters in this game, and I really just kind of like okay, name four. And those were the first four that really came to mind for me. I really agree with your um, Guahir and Watcher pick. I, I think those two are some of the best monsters in the game. I wouldn't say that Great Eagle or Cave Troll would be top monsters in my list, just because I think the hero monsters in this game are generally better. The Cave Troll is probably the best uh, out of the troll profiles, like you said. 
probably agree with that, but I'd probably be picking hero profiles as as you'll see later. I think Guahir, he's a lot more points efficient than a great eagle, for example. Like he's a lot better value for what you get. So, but yeah, in, interesting pick. Yeah, I mean, I gotta agree 100% with Charles here. Just having the might on the monster kind of uh, makes or breaks them. Honestly, like Katrol or Great Eagle, like as great as they are, no one is super intimidated or scared when you drop them on the table. And rarely is it your game plan to actually win with those models. But if you have a Guahir or like the Watcher of the Water, that's usually the strategy you build behind to try to win. So that's kind of the difference maker there. I would agree with that, Richard, particularly with the Watcher in the Water. Just because he's so expensive, he has to play a critical role in your strategy. Otherwise, he's just not worth taking. Richard, you want to go over your runner-up and then your top three? Sure. So my runner-up is the Goblin King. I guess no further comments. Just listen earlier in the episode how good he is. My my third best, I would say, is Gulivar. So I think the recent meta that we've seen kind of in some North American uh, tournaments is Angmar. And I think solely because of this model and alongside with the Witch King. But he is just a machine. And the only downside he has is that he's really, really squishy. So he is probably just the best glass cannon in the game. And with the right positioning and play style, I think he really, really shines. So he takes the number three spot. Number two spot, Guahir. I've had a lot of experience playing him in competitive tournaments, and he just has a lot of flexibility, kind of like Alex said. And, you know, I've probably talked this to death, but pairing him up with Galadriel or other spellcasters is just, it kind of takes it to the next level. So people think that he is a troop grinder, but I find that he's just the best assassin, one of the best assassins on the good side because of the fly. And he only has two attacks, but with the three might, usually you can burn through that and just take down any hero you like. And then in my number one spot, kind of like Ronan alluded earlier in his allied list today, the Spider Queen. And I think... What she brings to the table is is just multifaceted. Like, she's not just a good killer, which she is with her poison and everything. She could kill anything. But with the broodlings especially, that kind of allows her to basically straight up win any uh, objective missions right off the bat. And that is really, really scary. Yeah, what do you guys think? That's a really solid top three. I mean, Gulivar, yeah. Don't let his um, the skinny arms on the model fool you. He's got strength 8 with 4 attacks and wants to charge. He could kill pretty much anything. Guahir, like, rarely do you see yourself making a monster a leader. But I think Guahir is the leader of choice in a lot of lists just because of how solid his stat line is. His 12-inch movement combined with fly is extremely underrated. And for your opponent to defend and prepare for... Uh, what Guahir could do in a single turn, it's very hard to predict. Spire Queen has a really unique mechanic with the broodlings that like no other profile really has, and um, you, you can do a lot of tricks with it. Great for objectives, and she's like a super killer, so don't have any complaints with this list. They're all really excellent. 
Yeah. It was interesting for me seeing that you put the Spider Queen as the number one. I would agree with your comments on versatility and just raw killing power. And I think if we're looking in terms of cost efficiency, she certainly is one of, if not the best monster in the game. She's on the cheaper end of the scale by far. And in terms of damage output, she is matching or exceeding most of the monsters above her simply due to Venom. That being said, her extreme lack of durability scares me. She's kind of like an exaggerated Gulivar almost in that sense. She's just even more squishy. And on the weaker end of damage output, but it's the cost, I think, that keeps her up there. So I might not put her at number one, but if we're looking at cost efficiency, I can totally see why you'd rank her up there. She is a monster for her, like, nothing price tag. She's, like, so cheap. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with those comments. Like, I, at Defense 4 and Nofe, it can be kind of scary, especially getting hit by, like, a siege weapon. But yeah, she is half the cost of Gulivar, and um, she does have heroic defense with three might, so it's less scary in combat. So I think her main weakness would be the shooting. So would you guys rate the moving over all terrain that the Spider Queen has better than Fly, or is Fly still higher than that? I mean, Fly is over all terrain as well. But it's also like, oh, I guess it's also over models, which which brings its own difficulties because you have to get you have to have enough to get your base over the models anyway. So it's like, oh, well, it's a bit different because fly you can't go through difficult terrain. Um, it's actually a handicap because you have to land and then usually go a quarter of your speed. Um, whereas Spider Queen's movement thing, you could go through woods and everything as well. So I think it really comes down to terrain. But I would agree that. If you don't know what terrain you're in, Fly probably has a slight edge, in my opinion. All right, Ian, you're up. So I submitted my picks last, I think. And after I'd seen everybody's picks, I was like, you know what? I don't want to have all of mine exactly the same. So I went a little bit more for uh, the dramatic to have some discussion. But I still think they are like um, good shout outs. And I, I'm also going to preface this by saying I probably should have the Spider Queen or Guajira on my list, but I don't. Um, You're just trying to be different. <laughs> we gotta Which have is, if Galadriel had the monster keyword, oh, of course, she'd be on that list. She she, she would be on the list, 100, percent 100. percent So in my runner-up spot, I have the dragon. It's kind of for all the reasons we said for Guajira and Gulivar. Because you can get this massive flying monster with a million high strength, high fight value attacks that could just pop in. Granted, it is much harder to maneuver because of the larger base size, but I still think that has some merit to it. And then also the breathe fire. I, it's might... a bow. That's why you like it. It's an axe <laughs> <is> a bow. <laughs> okay, okay. I forgot it acts like a bow, but that's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> Ian's still trying to max bows with his monsters. <laughs> um, it, it's more for, like, the two-inch radius strength ten hits, but it is a bow. So uh, that's very good point, very good point. It, I, it does have, like, very obvious uh, weaknesses. I was reading a, a blog post uh, earlier this week. Uh, here, I'll just pull it up. Uh, what's it called? If you want to look it up. Uh Against all odds, there's a, a nice uh, analysis of dragons up on that blog. 
and basically it boils down to because of their survival instincts and their lowish courage at four, if you're facing a ring wraith, you're kind of boned. It's just going to run away as soon as it takes like two wounds. But if you're not, that's the, that's its biggest weakness. And if you're not facing an item like that, I think it is it can be quite quite strong. And you know we don't see enough people playing them. I think that they're people are still caught up on last edition where they didn't have the uh, the monstrous charge. Uh, now that they do, you know, you win that the fight and it's what like ten strength seven attacks. I think that's a lot of damage. Anyway, for my third pick, I have the humble Gundabad troll. And the reason I put this here is because I can't really think of any other model in the game that gets put on the table and I go, oh god, how do I deal with that? And then realize I can't put resources into dealing with that because I have other things in that list I have to deal with. They're just, they're so annoying and they're very reliable at what they do compared to the other trolls. Especially with like either if you give them the scythe gauntlet so they can wound stuff on like twos basically. Or if they have the club, so they do D3 wounds if they're fighting heroes. It's just, it's so annoying. And then in four wounds at defense eight, it's just, it's so hard to cut through. I, I don't know, maybe I was uh, done dirty by them a, a couple of years ago, and that's why I'm, they came to mind. But yeah, they're they're just so annoying. My second pick is Gulivar, for basically all the reasons we said before. He's just a beast, and you can just, it, it, it comes down to, like, it, it basically changes the way you play. As, as an, when you come up facing uh, that, or even go here, like you have to like adopt specific formations. You have to be very careful with your heroes. You have to think about heroic combats, and it's just it's crazy. And then my number one pick is the Watcher in the Water, kind of for the same reasons. If you come up against it, it just changes the way you have to play completely. It, it's just I don't know. Go back to our Watcher in the Water. <laughs> so if you want more talking about it, but the the tentacles are just crazy. And then I think we've talked about before being able to pull an enemy model into base contact with the Watcher in the water and a Bat Swarm. That's that's disgusting, and th there isn't any counter to that besides heroic defense. And even then, you're just you're just prolonging the inevitable. I yeah, gross gross model. I didn't expect this list because first of all, you complain about Guajir probably the most out of all of us, and he's not even on your list. Well. Um, I I forgot to say, the other thing, kind of the reason Gohir is on the list is because I agree he's, like, really, really good. But in order to make him super effective, because he only has the two attacks or three attacks, you have to have magic with him. And you have to have dedicated magic helping him out. So, suddenly he's not basically 150 points. He's, like, 280 if you have Galadriel in there, specifically to help him. I still think I'm... he's crazi good. And like I said, I he's mean, on the list. not as good as a Gundabat troll? I don't think so. I mean, okay... I, I get it. Gunnabad Troll, like, he's got, like, a beefy stat line, but it's kind of easy to neutralize it if you have any sort of any sort of magic. If you have, like, a Sentinel, I don't know, if you, you just block it with a couple guys because his base is so big. I don't know. I, I thought Alex's Cave Troll pick was better if you wanted to go for a troll. You were talking about the Dragon being buffed this edition. He actually had a Monstrous Charge last edition because I remember using it. The profile actually stayed relatively the same, which is why it disappointed me when this wow. new edition, because I still think he's overcosted. He's too expensive, but he does seem like a lot of fun. I just don't think he's uh, worth the points, at least for consideration of a top monsters list. But yeah, your first two are definitely solid picks. Ian, he just said my cave troll pick was better than your pick. Are you going to let him insult you like that? Dude, gun to bad troll, hands down, could just boop. Instant kill, cave troll, one round of combat. Don't at me. 
I, I guess the base size of the cave troll probably makes it pretty handy. And then the other one that I just realized now as I was reading it out, maybe a Mordor troll chief that should have been instead of the Gundabad troll, but I don't know. I kind of felt like we didn't have enough trolls on this list considering how prominent they are in the lore and how often they show up. Like I said, I was going for the dramatic. Yeah, uh, Ian, I think if this list was pick your top four most badass-looking monsters, I think you would have more of a case. The Gundabad <laughs> troll is just... Yeah, like, the base size makes it, like, one of the easiest to kind of tar pit because they can't really get anywhere. I got a question about the dragon, though. So you said that you read read up that article. What would kind of be your upgrades that you would get? Because each upgrade is 50 points. Or would you just go with, like, no upgrades? Or uh, what like, are your thoughts on that? I think fly is a must, no matter what yeah. you do. Like, you have to go for fly. The six inches is just not enough with that base size you just you need the extra mobility after that i was thinking about the uh, the breathe fire but then reading that article i i don't think that's a good pick because you just kind of need your will points for passing courage tests so i i i think i'd either go with fly and leave it at that if you're really trying to save points or go fly in tough high because then you get up to defense nine so just defense nine is so hard to wound but then also it adds an extra two wounds to the dragon so it becomes nine wounds so but the two extra wounds aren't that useful because um, usually you'll run away by survival instinct before you'll even lose all your wounds. That's my yeah, experience. There, there was some math in that blog post that I read. I can't remember, but the, the, the extra wounds do help. You, you do end up being able to take more wounds before you run away with that by like one, I think. But I think the defense sign is, is the key thing there. It just it'll become very, very hard to beat unless you have, well, not even magic because it has resistance to magic. So like bat swarms or something or just tar pitting it yeah that, that'd be the best ways about it i kind of want to hear uh, ronan's opinion on, <laughs> on the now, i honestly agree with most of what y'all have been saying the gundabed troll it looks super cool it's a beautiful model anytime i see it i get like all green with envy but at the same time i think it is the most expensive generic monster profile in the game at 120 points which generic monsters really don't cut it because <laughs> so many people have gimmicks these days all you need is a single specter or a sentinel or a single caster or something just to keep that guy running in circles or to transfix him or you can just bog him up on the big base cave trolls are way harder to deal with just because they're so mobile and eagles even more so their big bases are negated entirely by the fact they can go wherever the heck they want to go yeah, between the fact that it's so expensive, it's massive base, <laughs> and the fact that it has no will points. Yeah, I yeah, I wouldn't put it on the top list. That's just me, though. If Again, if we're going with badass monsters, it's it's up there. I think it's one of the most beautiful models in the range right now. Oh, Ronan, it's not just you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think if you want to look at monsters in that, in that army list, I would give uh, ogres a shout, because ogres are only 60 points. They, they can do kind of what you want a monster to do, but they move eight, so they're a lot more mobile, smaller base, and they could still hit pretty hard for 60 points, half the cost of a gun bat troll. Yeah, I think that's usually the debate in, in like, Azog's Legions, do you get two ogres or one gun to bed? And I think people usually go for the ogres, but yeah, maybe I would too because of the movement eight. I just... I... I just remember first looking at the Gundabad troll profile and comparing it to the other trolls and going, oh my god, this thing is ridiculous for like an extra yeah. 20 points. Yeah, but it's it's crazy good. Yeah, if it comes down to a fight between unnamed monsters, it would win just about every time. It doesn't matter which monster you throw it up against. That's not the issue. The issue is that it's expensive, it's slow, and it has no will. 
It has no will. Yeah. If it probably had just, like, one of those things was better, it'd probably be pretty good, I guess. Okay, so my list for my runner-up, I have Shelob. The reason I have Shelob is because of just how much Shelob can do for under 100 points. Its main weakness is obviously Survival Instinct and the fact that it has no might. But it's in the Mordor army list, so typically you'll be pairing him up with like someone with a transfix or something that can win the fight for her, because I think that's her that's her issue usually is the one attack, two on the charge. But you know, if there's another model paired up to win the fight for her, she could do quite a bit of damage with the rerolls to wound. She has the option to paralyze a target in the new legendary legion, Kirithungal. She has some bonuses there that make her um, pretty pretty deadly in, in a different kind of way. So just kind of like points efficiency reasons. Also swift movement, like we've talked before, um, being able to move over terrain and just this big fight seven spider, I think is is really good for 90 points. Watcher in the Water is number three. It's, it's not as high as like where Ian and Alex put the Watcher because of, I just remember thinking about the three plus deployment role, just the thought of that, not being able to come on the board when you want it to necessarily. That kind of is a little bit of a random part of the profile that you might not want for such an expensive model. Also, the tentacles are kind of random. You're rolling like a D6 number of shots, so it's not necessarily a consistent like model in every single game. And then the top two we already talked about quite a bit, Guahir at number one and Spider Queen at number two, just for how great they are and how like how much utility they give your army and how scary they are with with how fast they can move and catch your opponent off guard and being able to reach to the back of your opponent's battle line where they don't even expect to be charged both of these heroes can can do that really easily yeah that's the trick when choosing your top monsters what defines top are we choosing them based on mobility cost efficiency killing power like, the rankings change drastically depending on what your criteria are. But yeah, generally speaking, yes, here is fantastic. Spider Queen points efficiency. There's not much in the game that is quite as efficient as she is, even just in versatility. Watcher in the Water is a beast, and then she love is she love. <laughs> like, for the cost of a Great Eagle, she is twice as tanky. And then, yeah, for all the things that you said before, she, I love her. Every time that I bring my Baradur, she's in the list. Not Baradur. I say Baradur because I take black guards, but it's not actually Baradur. Whatever. Mordor. That, yes. She (laughs) is in both lists, so. Yeah. All right. I took kind of a different approach (laughs) because, I don't know, again, I want it to be different. So with top monster being so arbitrary and with having so many monsters in this game, I chose the ones that I did based on their ability to fulfill the role that you take them to play in the army that you play them in as well as factoring in your opponent's ability or ease to counter them. So runner-up is the Watcher in the Water, for all the things we talked about before. Predominantly, the fact that, yeah, there's not much your opponent can do to counter it at all. It's going to show up wherever it wants. It might take a while to get there, but once it does, you have a bubble that your opponent just has to avoid. And if they happen to get trapped, they're dragged into the back, their hero's dead. There's not much you can do to avoid that, especially if there's bat swarms kicking around. Number the three, I... Actually, have Tom the Troll, the Sneezer. Originally, this was Bert, but they fixed that. It's now Tom. He's kind of an interesting one. You don't hear about him an awful lot because he's a member of the Three Trolls, 
but his halving fight value, he just spends a will point at the beginning of the fight. There's nothing your opponent can do to resist it. It's just a thing that happens. And then if he wins the fight, sure, he might not kill them because he has the same hitting power as a cave troll, but he can stuff them in a sack and then they're paralyzed. And again, there's nothing they can do to resist it. And he's dirt cheap if you're taking him for that sole purpose. Number two, I have the Goblin King. I might be kind of biased here. Uh, I love the Goblin King. Again, he's relatively cheap. He goes where the controlling player wants him to go with Relentless Advance. He also is incredibly survivable, and his damage output is up there as well because of the two-handed Burly and the ability to Piercing Strike as well. And then number one, we just have Gwai here. Again, your opponent can't escape him. They can't easily kill him, and he can do a lot of damage. I had a question. I wonder why Tom the Troll is a hero of valor, whereas Bert is a hero of fortitude. And Tom is the smallest troll. Yeah, that's carryover from the old edition. Bert was the quote-unquote small one. And then Bert was the fortitude, Tom was the valor that couldn't really do anything, and then Bill was the big one. But yeah, they fixed the sneezing, but they didn't fix that. <laughs> but but I guess that makes it good that you can ally Tom, uh, the sneezer, into uh, yellow alliances and red alliances a lot easier. Exactly. I really like the Tom profile. Um, he's kind of like a cave troll kind of level stats. I guess his only weakness is that he only has one might, but he's got two sort of special attacks that are both pretty good. Like he's like his own bass form, and he can strike at every model in his fight, strength six, and then knock them to the ground. That's pretty good. So yeah, I don't know why we don't see him that much. Maybe because it's because of the one might. Um, honestly, I think it's because of the ally matrix. The fact that he's in a standalone faction, he's by himself, he's not going to have any infantry to support him. And if you're taking him just as an include in whatever your actual army is, if you're playing like a scatter deployment scenario or something, he's going to be by himself because he doesn't have the might to determine where he's going to go. And then, yeah, if he's isolated, he's pretty easy to take down. I mean, he's, he's still got heroic defense, so he's good for a turn. But yeah, that is an interesting pick. I, I do like it. There, there's a troll that I like. Everybody likes this troll. <laughs> And a lot of people don't know about the fight value and the paralyze. Mm-hmm. It's it's disgusting that you can't do anything to counter it. Yeah, that that's a nasty combo. Because I always found like thought it'd be hard to get the uh, keep them for later where you toss them in the bag going. But if he can just rock up, sneeze on them, and then do it, yeah, that's it's a nice little combo. Yeah, I just want to say your other picks are um, all really solid as well. Yeah, I know we focused on the Goblin King today, but I think yeah, number two, he's pretty. I think he looks good there and. And uh, Guajir, number one, definitely agree with that. I think that has been our discussion today on the Goblin King and our top monsters. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and thanks to Ronan for coming on our show. Uh, Look forward to the next episode of Into the West podcast. (laughs) 